today on CityCast Madison. Black excellence surrounds us, and yet that's not always the anthem we hear about our Black communities. We hear about crime and disparities. A group of Black leaders in Madison is changing that tune. They're building the Center for Black Excellence and Culture, a multi-million dollar space off of South Park Street. It'll house performance spaces, a business incubator, and a theater, plus so much more. And it's gonna celebrate the culture across the diaspora. We talked to Reverend Dr. Alex G about how this could transform Madison. It's Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Dr. G, hello. Well, hello. How are you today? I am doing very well. It's lovely to see your your smiling face. Well, thank you. It's nice to be seen, and it's good to see you, too. Lovely. So why create a Black Center for Excellence in Madison? Why not? Love the retort. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that. No, no, let me stop. (laughs) I know. See, see, that's what you get for having a podcast host on. We like to turn the tables. (laughs) No, uh, this is okay. This is what I'm thinking. As I've listened to my black peers in this community. Well, let me just back up even a step further. Being black and having grown up in Madison, having been here for the last 52 years, the only reinforcement at an educational level, at secondary, middle school, and even high school, um, depiction of Black culture has always been pejorative. It's been negative. It's 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 been it, just what you think about the pictures of African people with chains around their necks. Social studies and history lessons on slavery, but nothing about the Harlem Renaissance and the Northern Migration and the great contributions of Black people to to American culture. It wasn't until I got in college and I just took a few breadth and depth courses from the Afro Am or African American Studies Department that I realized what people who looked like me had contributed to this country. Like I was 18 years old before I realized things that that I should have known my entire life. And so as I listened to my peers who are leaving Madison, leaving Wisconsin in droves, one of the things that they're saying, and it's actually just, it's being, it's just resonating with so many other people is, all right, the crime rate is low here. It's the Great Lakes, you know, intramural sports, these great bike paths. But what I want culture, I have to go to Milwaukee, the Twin Cities, Chicago. I've got to go back home to Detroit, New York, Atlanta, Dallas. That people don't like the fact that the music, the bookstores, the clothing stores, the hair stores um, or beauty supply stores, things that reinforce and enhance our culture and our cultural identity don't exist here. And so it subtly sends a message that it doesn't really feel like home. The other thing is my mother and my mother's retired um, and my sister is no longer act, serving as a, as a social worker, but I grew up in a home with two social workers. And so much of what people think is going on in the African community, African-American community requires handouts, assessments, um, um, human service intervention, and none of the programming builds on the strength and the beauty of Black resilience, Black history, Black culture, Black survival, um, Black thriving. And so I'm creating this center, this space, because not only do Black people need to see the reinforcement of our culture, the way our white counterparts do at every artistic outlet, store, shop, art fair, concert hall, dance recital hall, 
Not only do we need to see it, our non-Black counterparts and their children need to see the history and the contributions of Black people in their true positive light so that we don't groom another generation of people who think that some are just takers, criminals, and people with a dark, ugly background uh, or history. That's a long answer, but it's a big undertaking. And if you're white in America, your, your, your history is reinforced in textbooks, in movies, in song, in art, in beauty salons, in dance parlors, dance halls, all the products. Mm -hmm. We don't have that if you live in a place like Madison, Wisconsin. So yes, and to everything you just said. (laughs) I mean, like we, the the sad stories are always always shared, but there's so much amazing, um, you know, triumph and resilience and culture and all of these wonderful, you know, right. contributions Black Americans, Black Madisonians have for our community. And so it, it should be told and spread the word to really, you know, push back on a lot of what's the negative that's out there. Uh, but also just because um, that's it's just the it's just the thing. Sure. And I think that there's a fear that when one particular group and it shouldn't be just one, but in my situation, when Black people look back at our contributions, there are people who feel that it then becomes divisive. And that's not True. When you understand the contributions of Black people to Wisconsin life, to civic life, agricultural life, um, military, law enforcement life in the state of Wisconsin, I think that that helps to unify people. It says, oh, oh, I didn't realize that was created for all of us, that that wasn't just a Black thing. Like, oh, I didn't know that these contributions happened. I feel that it helps us to lean in together and not causes us to be more div- divisive. So I think that there's some positive that comes. That there's okay, definitely. Can I share a new term that I just learned that's not new at all, but it's new to me? Please. <laughs> so it's um, I don't. You probably have heard of it, but Ubuntu, the African philosophy. I am because we are. Yes. I just yes. I just heard yes. about it from uh, the Celtics coach. (laughs) But it's this idea, um, you know, that we, we are better together, you know, and it's not our, my life is better. If your life is good, my life is good and vice versa. And I wanted to bring this up because I think some white folks don't always realize that issues um, impacting the black community impacts them. And also that the positives and wins, like you're saying, is their win as well, that we're in this together. Definitely. Definitely. Not that I want to be in agreement with any Celtics coach or anyone from the city of Boston. Um, I'll just say that as a disclaimer. (laughs) I denounce all of Boston and all things Bostonian. Um, But but it's it's true. The strength of the black community has been its collective um, story, collective pain, collective joy, collective faith. Um, And that's often that's often left out. And so I think that it's that it's that it's very powerful that we often talk about what's wrong within the black community, but we don't lean into enough of of addressing what's allowed us to stay sane and present and and thriving for the past 400 plus years. What what has sustained us? And those those things include our culture, our collective selves, the way we see the world, our worldview. And I want to bring that back as an antidote to some of what's happening in our community and our world, um, that not everything can be fixed with a human service program. Many can, and again, I run a human service organization that I started over 30 years ago. I know that that's needed. You're talking about Nehemiah. This also has a, 
I'm talking about Nehemiah, but it has a great emphasis in reinforcing um, Black culture and the history of thriving. So to whatever degree we can attribute success to my programming, it's because it's been rooted in, in Black and in, in, in a social service approach that's that's deeply grounded in, um, in a sense of Black cultural identity. And by Black, we mean not just African-American, but African, Caribbean, those who identify as Afro-Latino, and of course, North American Blacks. It is it has really helped to separate us from other social service entities. But not only that, it's given us great impact, three decades of impact on the lives of young Black children and their families. Where would we be without Motown? I don't want to know. Exactly. Well, I mean, well, think think about this. Um, when the Northern Migration happened and we saw um, um, just an infusion of Black art coming North, gospel, blues, um, and those, those art forms, which are Black, shaped bluegrass, country, R&B, rock, rap. But jazz and blues became... America's first original art form, uh, musical art form, because the other music was really taken from Europe. And so this is the first time that America offered a sound to the world that was completely uh, American. And it happened decades before before Motown. It actually gave life to, to Motown, but the whole world said, oh, and our Black musicians were welcomed in, in Europe because it became America's mm-hmm. sound soundtrack. Um, and so, but that wasn't just a black sound, it became America's sound. And so you're right. Where would we be without that? And not to mention the art, the culture, and the you're inventions. Like, we can't, st- we can't start education. at the 60s, Bianca. <laughs> we have to go back further. So, yes. Yes. We can go back you're further. absolutely so true. And you laid it out. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this center, right? So it's going to be focused on the culture and the positive stories and contributions and the things that helped, you know, Black Americans, Black Wisconsinites thrive and survive, you know, tough times and also thrive. Yes. Let's talk about the space. When you walk in, what will the center look like? Like, What's the vibe? Well, let's not even walk in. Let's just stand in the parking lot. Okay. We've got a Black architect whose thesis, master's thesis, really focused on the Black aesthetic. And so what are the materials, the shapes, the colors that exude a Pan-African sort of um, worldview, our strength, our flexibility, our togetherness. And so what I love is that even before you walk in, when you look at the space from, you know, just from the street, it speaks something very deeply into our souls. Um, The fact that 700 Black people plus spoke into the need for this, the the shape of this, the, the purpose of this and what this would create and what it would prevent in our community. So all of that hovers around this space. So when you walk in, you feel this sense of beauty and you feel a sense of accomplishments and you feel a sense of collaboration that people have come together and we've designed this for ourselves. It's not someone else hasn't retrofitted it and said, hey, how does this look? We've done it for ourselves. And so, you know, we're still laying out the inside of this, Bianca. I mean, we're, you know, we're raising the money we need to just to get the bricks in the mortar. But when you walk inside, there's going to be common space so that in the winter we can have farmers markets, um, art shows and, 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 and book festivals. But then there's going to be um, just uh, performance space so that we can have poets and singers and music going on inside the foyer when people walk in. There's going to be a, a gallery space so you can see the latest of, of statewide Black artists or regional artists in, in books. Um, there's going to be a center for innovation on another level 
where where um, black innovators come together and whether they are creating their own casting company, lighting company, costume company, uh, biotech company, some of the real non-traditional business development will take place there. And people will be able to work collaboratively. There'll be a multi-purpose theater space so that we can have black film festivals and folk, and, 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 and folk fairs and performances and dances. There will be maker space so artists can come and create and paint and tell their stories. Uh, media studios so that we can have young people, older people create their own podcasts, videos, graphics, other kinds of programs. And so it really gives room to tell our story and to continue to push um, our sustainability um, through the beauty and the collective of our amazing story of, of, of triumph and unity um, and persistence. And so the space itself just speaks to us. There's a, there's a private lounge on another level so that when Black dignitaries from other countries, other states, the people come to the university. Once they do their work at the Capitol and the university, they can come down and be received wow. by the community. And so it'll be a place to meet and interact with the, with the community. So it gives us a place to That's share. That's a whole universe. It's a whole universe. And then still invite our non-Black friends and family in to participate in our plays and our concerts and our shows. But there will be spaces where we can create and direct and innovate. But we want to share our story from our perspectives and not something that's in blackface, so to speak. We want to present and tell our stories that we can share with the broader community because many times the stories that are shared mm. are not ours. Mm. We haven't, I mean, we haven't mm. told it. It's, it's very true. I understand there's going to be, you know, multi-generational programming. This is for everyone. Oh my, oh, of course, of course. Because so often when our black elders um, fall sick, we don't see them. You know, it's just like they're, it's just like they're relegated to places in their homes or the, the skilled living facilities where they are. But to have space where they could just come grab coffee, sit and talk and interact with each other, volunteer or interact with their children. Um, you know, like at hospitals and museums where you have seniors who are, who are volunteers and who are giving tours. We want folks to know that we want to see our seniors. We want to honor them and we want them to feel at home in this space. So the multi-generational space, the the um, the sense of Black diaspora, because, you know, just because you're Black, just because you're African-American in Wisconsin, doesn't mean that you're steeped right. in Western African culture. It doesn't mean that African Blacks and American Blacks know each other, appreciate each other, mm. or have learned to really interact with each other. I'm wanting to do away with that. The footprint of that black mm. diaspora is major. And so the, the 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 sense of pride and celebration and unity that could come when when um blacks from the Caribbean or Ghanaian or Nigerian or Liberian and Southern blacks and northern blacks and West Coast blacks, when people are getting together and telling their stories, it's it's beautiful. And in the private lounge, I envision like a night a week or a month that's Ghanaian night. So the music, the food, the swag, another night it's Kenyan night or another night it's, you know, it's, it's you know, the night for folks from I Trinidad or so from, from Jamaica. There's just so much culture that we want to expose people to that needs to be celebrated. Chancellor, Chancellor Manukin said this when I talked to her from UW-Madison, um, the, our new chancellor said, you know, there needs to be space for being safe, but also space for being brave. And when there's space like this, Dr. G, where, where the Black community can be safe, 
then they'll have the strength to be brave in places where they are still the first and the only. So we need this space not to hire it away from our non-Black colleagues, but to interact with them uh, more fully and joyous, joyfully, because we are doing it out of a sense of refreshment mm. and not of a sense of being depleted. It's so true. It's not to disclude others. You, we still have this space to um, bring forward to the whole community. Sure. But, but, but Bianca, can I just add, um, when people ask me, I try to be very honest about the purpose of the center so that it's not misleading. We are not creating the center so that we can perform for white people and non-Black people. We will do that. We, I'm doing it because of the microaggressions that's killing Black people. We are living shortened lives. I'm the co-founder and the co-chair of the Black Leaders for Brain Health. You know, we're talking about the impact of Alzheimer's and, and, and dementia. Black people are leading in that. One of the leading indicators of dementia, you know, it's, it's hypertension and, and, and diabetes, areas in which Black people lead as well. Right. And many of those are stress-related, diet-related um, illnesses that could be turned around. And so we lead almost every list of pejorative outcomes of health risk, and now we know that we live shortened lives. And so because we lead on those negative lists, I offer no apologies about creating space that helps to overturn that, to help Black people live. I don't think that being Black and successful should be a death sentence. And so I'm creating space so that Black people are meeting other Black people and, and, and folks are meeting doctors and lawyers and professors and moms and formerly incarcerated folks and future scientists in, in space spaces that's safe where people know that if I take my children here, they can participate in chamber orchestras or they can learn foreign language or they can learn art or they can find out about college or do ACT preps. I'm trying to help Black people who have worked hard to build this country to stop dying prematurely. That breaks my heart. And so to the extent that we do offer space so that others can learn our stories, I'm happy to do right. that, but that's not why I'm building the center. I'm building the center because I'm trying to pro I'm trying to prolong Black lives because we're dying unnecessarily prematurely. And it's a space, like you said, where you can revel in the good stories away from the negative stories and you can build yeah. community and you can be one with your elders. There's so much that this is offering. Like I was going to say, it sounds like Wakanda vision to it me. It is. It is. Wakanda. Forever. Forever. <laughs> Florentin, Florentin. I, I'm not sitting here with goosebumps the whole time while you're explaining this. I'm just like overwhelmed. Yes. Um, and you said something that I want to point out, which is, you know, I was thinking about, I love this, the Center for Black Excellence. And as someone who strives for excellence, I also think, dang, like, sometimes can we just be mediocre? You know, we can't be mediocre. <laughs> You're right. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Yes. Right. But I think right. it'd be space where we can. We can just say, look, I'm tired, um, um, but I'm thriving. I'm tired, but my kids are doing well. I'm tired, but it's good to meet you. It's good to see you. Um, it's good to be reminded that I'm not the only I'm not one. alone. I'm and in again, community. Nothing against my white colleagues, but they have that all over the place. They've always had, most of them have always had doctors and teachers and nurses and scientists and professors and lunchroom personnel and postal workers and bank tellers that look like them. Mm-hmm. 
many have no idea what it's like to walk in a world where that's not the case. And we're not afraid of those worlds or those places. It's just that when you walk into a place and it does look like you and reflect you, there's certain things you don't have to say. And there's certain things that you feel and there's a certain comfort. And I want people to know that and to not have to leave Wisconsin to get it. I want people to stay in the state. Well, you just brought something up that I want to talk about, which is, I, as you said, one of the charted goals is to retain Black talent. Um, I, I grew up here. Um, I went to UW yes. and I actually left a year after graduating. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I moved to D.C., specifically Chocolate City, because I wanted to be around more mm-hmm. Black people. That was right, right. the reason. And... It was because I felt right. like I, I was othered in all of these spaces despite growing up here, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So you're hoping that this center is really going to be able to retain local talent, it sounds like. I, I believe so, because what our strength has been, I mean, we've had a number of things that have that, that have um, contributed to our strength, but um, not the least of which, it's just a strong sense of community. That even before integration, um, in some ways, there were healthier indicators of the Black community because we had each other. We were forced to live together. I'm, you know, I live in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. I have an advanced degree and my wife has a degree. We met in college. Our daughter has two degrees, but she, she can't, she can count on one hand how many Black shop owners she knows. She's only laid eyes on perhaps two or three Black physicians and had two or three of them not attended our church, she would not have seen them. Um and so they're just things she hasn't she hasn't seen. Madison has one black funeral home owner and it's Foster's you know, funeral home. But if you lived in Memphis or D.C., you know, black community is served by black funeral homes. And so um, when you when you grow up not seeing those examples of, of your community leading and thriving, but 70 years ago you did because you were forced to live together, it makes you ask, well, what did we give up? through integration. Now, again, I want us to be able to move and live anywhere we want to. I'm not saying we should not have integrated, but I'm saying what we did is we just, we put people, we warehouse people together. We didn't really integrate because when black kids went to black schools, black teachers didn't. Black teachers were fired and they became, many of them became domestics and housekeepers. And so, no, if it was true integration, then our teachers and our principals would have come with us. So yeah, we went to shiny new white schools, but our coaches who told us we could become the president, we could become a lawyer, we become we could become a doctor. They weren't allowed. They in. didn't come with us. Yeah. And then the people who were our teachers are like, well, you should mm-hmm. be a secretary. You should be a dental hygienist. Um, not all of them, not all of them, because I had great white mentors, but uh, that happened for a lot of folks. So we need to reclaim what we had before integration. And that was the opportunity to see each other and to understand I could own a funeral home. I could be a college president. I could be a doctor. But we have successful Black kids today who have never seen Black Mm. doctors. Can I just say full circle, um, this everything just sounds so, so amazing. You had mentioned that, you know, you're still in the fundraising stage. You know, when when do you expect will this this will open? (laughs) <laughs> I keep telling people we're going to open in 13 million more dollars. Okay. <laughs> but here's where, we, here's where we are, Bianca. We've raised 23, almost $24 million. Well, we raised the first 20 in 10 months, which is a, which is amazing yeah. to do, to raise $20 million during a pandemic. And almost 100% of those dollars, except for a million that came from um, through uh, Representative Mark Pocan, came right here from from our local, from our Wisconsin economy, for Wisconsin community. 
we have a goal of reaching uh, raising five million more by the end of this year, and then we can break ground next year without encumbering any debt. So a debt-free facility. Our goal is to still raise thirteen million because there are things that we want to do in terms of reserves and parking structure. But we can break ground spring of twenty twenty-four by just adding five more million to the almost twenty-four million that we've raised, and I'm so excited about that. So I'm thinking. Uh, this time next year, my life is going to be crazy. I'm going to be wearing hard hats every day. Um, it'll take about a year and a half to construct. We we have a site on the south side of Madison near the Badger Road Park Street intersection. Um, it'll overlook the Beltline, you know, our local highway 12 and 18. So people will be able to see it. About 140, 150,000 cars go past that site every day. And so the visibility of this great space is going to draw people off campus. And because the exhibits inside will change, we see people when they have to come to Madison for state hockey championships or basketball, what, what have you, or to come for school, that this will be one of the places people will stop in just to see what's what's new and what stories can we learn. So we're, we're a year away from breaking ground. Wow. And will you run the center? <laughs> I will. I will. I, um, I will retire from Nehemiah. So I'm coming up on my 31st anniversary from from uh, creating this company, but I will retire and then I will work on um, leading the center full time. I've been working to um, fundraise and design the programs for about the last four to five years while still being the full-time pastor at Fountain of Life and still being the CEO of Nehemiah. So um, I'm keeping it going. Yes. And it sounds like it's truly, it's been a Madison area wide effort. And I, you also got money from the Green Bay Packers and the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm meeting with um, the, the Milwaukee Brewers Foundation next week. We're talking to alumni who live all across the the, the country. And we're, we're going to be researching the stories of Black First all across the state. And it's in South Madison, which has been historically Black community and diverse community. But it will tell the story of Black First from all around the state. And nothing like this exists in the country that focuses on Black innovation, but also Black artistic expression, both visual arts and performing arts and um, theatrical arts. Um, and then a place for cultural celebrations. So the fact that it's innovation, it's cultural celebrations and its performance makes this space very, very unique. And so I believe that it's going to put not only Madison and Wisconsin, but Madison and Wisconsin's Black community on a national uh, map, a national trajectory of how you rebuild communities without thinking about social services. Dr. G, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. I cannot even wait to get oh, my butt in there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. That's Reverend Dr. Alex G, lead pastor of the Fountain of Life Church, president of the Nehemiah Center for Urban Leadership Development, and host of the podcast, Black Like Me. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Purple haze. Well, not quite. More like a gray reddish haze, but shout out to Jimi Hendrix and his black excellence. You likely noticed this past week the uncharacteristically poor air quality. That's the result of wildfire smoke carried by the wind all the way from Western Canada. If you saw a red sunrise or the sunset, that was heavier smoke particles suspended in light. That's what gives that reddish hue. Thank you, Madison Weather Guys, for that explainer. Gotta love science, unhealthy air quality, not so much. But earth, wind, and fire, what can you do? 
Well, you could be fire burning on the dance floor. Have you heard about Cafe Coda Afro Vibe Soirees? Cafe Coda is over on Willie Street, and they host this Afro Beats DJ party on the last Friday of every month. This Friday features VJ Beats, DJ Lyrics, and DJ Easy E. It's indeed a vibe, dripping diasporic swag. Talk about some good spaces to celebrate the culture. It's a ticketed event, so for more details, check our show notes for a link. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a Wakanda night about our podcast, Party on 10. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, Wakanda forever. Forever.